Hello there and welcome back to our Section 25 podcast series. In this series, we explore Section 25 of the Constitution and look at the case law, legislation and components of the actual section itself to make sense of the property clause and its applicability to our contemporary South African reality. Please remember to always have handy your Section 25 schematic and to also have the text of Section 25 at your disposal. For the next two podcasts, please have your sliding scale schematic handy as well. This is podcast five in the series, and if you have yet to listen to the previous podcasts or to have read the relevant case law prescribed in the previous podcasts, then please do so before continuing on. I am Dr. Thomas Coggan, your lecturer for this component of the course, and I look forward to discussing this podcast with you on Thursday during our live session. On with it. So in this podcast, we will be looking at the case of Reflect All 1025CC versus MEC for Public Transport and Roads Gauteng 2009. You are required to read this constitutional court case as it not only demonstrates how the test for arbitrary deprivation applies, but it also demonstrates how the outcome may differ even where the judges are apparently using the same test. Hmm. Let's go through the facts of the case first. So prior to the passing of the Gauteng Transport Infrastructure Act 8 of 2001, the Gauteng province had the power to plan and construct roads pursuant to an old town planning ordinance. And under this ordinance, road route determinations and preliminary designs were published in the Provincial Gazette and there were no legal restrictions on the use of land within the routes determined or preliminarily designed. So you can imagine why this is important, right? If you are in charge of provincial planning in Gauteng, you need to plan ahead for future urban growth, which includes laying out the kind of roads that you'll need in the future. If you don't plan for a busy highway, for example, you're a bit stuck when 30 years down the line, property developers have built new housing in places that are now served poorly by an inadequate road network. So this was the historical backdrop to the case, right? At the time that the case came before the court, whilst some of the roads that had been planned had in fact been constructed, most had not yet been built. And there was no indication of whether if ever, the roads would be built. Now, this was not ordinarily a problem for the land owners, um, principally because there were no legal restrictions on the use of the land. So you could do anything with that land, even if it fell within a preliminary design for a future road. When the Infrastructure Act came into force in January 2003, however, 
the rights of affected landowners changed. In that sections 10.1 and 10.3 now imposed legal restrictions on land affected by route determinations and preliminary designs accepted under the ordinance. This meant, for example, that a landowner could no longer apply to subdivide land um, or apply to establish a township etc., where this would impact the road or rail reserve. The reserve, as the name suggests, is that area of land reserved for a future road or railway. At best, the landowner could, in terms of Section 8, Subsection 9, apply for an amendment of a preliminary design if they wanted to use that portion of land in the rail or road reserve. So the legal restrictions in section 10.1 and section 10.3 could be read in two ways. First, upon publication of a notice that would determine a route or determine a preliminary design for a route, um, the consultation and other procedures that would otherwise be compulsory were deemed to have taken place. And second, the legal restrictions imposed on the land effectively froze any kind of development within the road or rail reserve. It also meant, for example, that no service provider could lay, construct, alter or add certain services below or above the affected area except with the written permission of the MEC or in terms of an existing registered servitude. So the first question is really whether we are dealing here with constitutional property. The court did not deal with this question mostly because it would be fairly uncontroversial to claim that one's use of land as a component of your real right in land should be considered property for the purposes of Section 25. The next question in our schematic is whether we are dealing here with a deprivation. An important one to question because perhaps we're talking merely about the regulation of property use and that the appropriate remedy would lie in administrative law. The court was in fact alive to this consideration and it's visible in particular in paragraph 33 of the judgment. And I'm going to quote here, the court said, whilst the exploitation of property remains an important incident of ownership, the state may regulate the use of private property in order to protect public welfare. The idea is not to protect private property from all state interference, but to safeguard it from illegitimate and unfair state interference." End quote. But also have a look and highlight paragraph 36 in the judgment, where Justice Inkabinde provided an argument for why we should define deprivation 
widely. Have a look at her argument. We may want to highlight the specificities of this argument in your notes uh, regarding the previous aspect of our schematic dealing with deprivation. So, the court found that the limitation on the use, enjoyment and exploitation of the properties meant that there was a deprivation. Because of this, we now move on to the nub of the inquiry, which is whether the deprivation is arbitrary or not. To begin with, Justice Nkabinde considers the question of procedural fairness, positioning it as, quote, a flexible concept, which depends on all the circumstances. You can find that in paragraph 40. Now, this obtuse definition of procedural fairness allows the court space to set the boundaries on a case-by-case -case basis regarding what is procedurally fair. In Reflect All, Justice Nkabinde found that it would simply be too impractical for the state to consult each and every owner affected by the publication of the road network and its preliminary designs. Therefore, she found that sections 10.1 and 10.3 of the Infrastructure Act were procedurally fair. The question of substantive fairness, on the other hand, is articulated by Justice Nkabinde in a less obtuse manner. I'm going to quote from her here at paragraph 49 and note how she articulates quite clearly the, um, the scope of the, of the test for substantive fairness. So she says, quote, In some instances, a deprivation will escape arbitrariness if a rational connection between the means adopted and the ends sought to be achieved is present. In other instances, however, the means adopted will have to be proportional to the ends in order to justify the deprivation in question. Marginal deprivations of property will ordinarily not be arbitrary if they are rationally connected to a legitimate purpose. More severe deprivations will ordinarily have to shown to be proportionate. In determining that, a court must have due regard to the purpose of the law in question, the nature of the property involved, the extent of the deprivation, and the question of whether there are less restrictive means available to achieve the purpose in question. So again, that's paragraph 49. Uh, have a look at that paragraph. It will be something that you will probably refer to when you are attempting a question on, on arbitrary uh, deprivation. And that is because Justice Nkabinde set out quite clearly some of the factors that you would need to consider in your analysis. Now I would like you to please take a few moments to compare Justice Nkabinde's judgment to Justice Reagan's minority judgment. 
What's interesting is that Justice O'Regan also uses a proportionality inquiry, predominantly because she regards the extent of the deprivation to be weighty enough or heavy enough to warrant the use of proportionality. Despite their mutual use of the proportionality test, so they both end up using proportionality, right? They arrive at different conclusions, suggesting perhaps that one of the two judges used a test less stringent than proportionality. How is this achieved? I want you to figure this out by conducting the following five exercises. First, read paragraphs 101 to 104 and identify the four ways in which Justice O'Regan regards the law as imposing a form of restriction on the property. Second, read paragraphs 109 to 112. Note how Justice O'Regan considered one step which Justice Nkabinde seemingly did not consider. What was the step and how would it have affected the outcome of Justice Nkabinde's judgment? Third, read paragraph 108. Justice O'Regan considers here the purpose of the law behind the deprivation. What was this deprivation and how did it differ from Justice Nkabinde's judgment regarding the purpose of the law, if at all? Fourth, how did Justice Nkabinde's finding differ from that of Justice O'Regan's finding? And what would O'Regan's remedy have been? And finally, I want you to go back to Justice Nkabinde's reasoning in paragraphs 48 to 58. I want you to pay particular attention to paragraphs 53 and 58 of the judgment and consider the question, was Justice Nkabinde really using a proportionality test here. That's it for this part of the Section 25 podcast series. Make sure you go through these five questions before moving on to the next podcast. To recap, in this podcast, we principally went through the case of Reflect All demonstrating how arbitrary deprivation works in practice. Note how I didn't give you what the finding of the judgment was. I want you to please look this up. There are two components of arbitrary deprivation. One is procedural fairness and the other is substantive fairness. The test for the former is far more obtuse than the latter in that it is a flexible concept that depends on all the circumstances. The test for substantive fairness depends on the extent of the deprivation, with the more extensive the deprivation resulting in a stricter test. 
the stricter test hues closer to proportionality, whereas the less stricter test hues closer to rationality. In the next podcast, we'll go through the case of Mkuntwana. See you then. Thank you.